Welcome to another episode of the Chip and Gary Tennis Show. We've got kind of a special interview because we've got a couple of Eastern boys in the house. Uh, first of all, we called him the general he, because he never missed the ball. He uh, <laughs> is Michael Grant from uh, New York City out there on Long Island and a uh, uh, great junior player, great college player, and great pro player really, but he cut it short and went into business for some reason. Maybe he was smarter than we thought. We, <laughs> we've got uh, Robert Rosello cooking us chicken back here in the back. <laughs> he may just chime in a little bit. And then we've got my partner, Chip <laughs> Hooper, who uh, came a little bit after us. I guess Robert's about that age, and Michael's you're a year younger than me probably, but we had some great battles. And uh, uh, one thing I always remember is going to New York City and going and trying to get on that Junior Davis Cup team and there are about 20 of us fighting for the positions and after about five matches or six, seven matches, I think Gene Mayer and Michael Grant and maybe Ferdy Tagan and Billy Martin, they got put on the team automatically because they didn't lose a match and uh, Michael went on and to do a lot of things uh, in tennis and then outside of tennis, but Michael, great to have you here. Um, Talk, let's talk a little bit. Yeah, I remember that Junior Davis Cup camp well. The only reason I, I won every match was uh, it was on clay, and I played all the Californians. So and none of them, none of them could uh, uh, really make a great battle on clay because none of them had any experience on clay at that time. So I was actually very lucky. I played uh, all the Chips friends from the West Coast. Now, who were those yeah, fellas? Yeah, I want to know that too. Yeah. Who? Well, I, I don't remember. Uh, well, I'm Bill Mays and, and uh, Perry Wright and Niall Brash and uh, Bruce Manson. I'm Manson. I, I got I got everybody from California first, so I was like seven or eight and old before the before yeah. I had to play anybody who'd even seen a clay court. So that's how I made the team without you know any 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 issues that year. Wow. <laughs> I think they played it on clay. The funny thing was, I never would go play the national junior tournaments out in California. I would always start at St. Louis or you know those midwestern tournaments. But since I was on the team, they made me go, and all the all the guys. Christ and Nichols and all those hardcore players wanted to play me and get me back and uh, I ended up I ended up playing I think I played you Gary and I played Schoenfeld and I ended up getting to the semis Nichols beat me but I was so so thrilled to get to the semis of Burlingame because I I never traveled to California to play before and I don't think I ever went back so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well you went to a one heck of a city Burlingame is uh, I guess you would say in the high rent district of Northern California, it's an expensive area code to live out there. And those courts were they were lightning fast, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they they were, and we were coming off the clay. And I, you know, as, as as Robert will tell you, you know, most of the kids in New York, we played on everything. We had hard courts and clay courts and whatever. We 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 had tournaments on everything. I played on wood in, in the uh, in the armories when I was a teenager. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, we had all kinds of services we played on, but we learned a lot on clay also. So that was one thing the uh, West Coast kids didn't really have experience on. So that was a big advantage at that age. Well, well, all right. Um, I was, as we were talking a little bit earlier, I was saying that my first trip out to the east, to the West Side Tennis Club, 
in the year of 1970. And um, I played a couple of uh, uh, New Yorkers early on. A guy named Jeff Silver, whom you have, uh, oh, Robert Rosello commented that uh, it was that that boy has passed. And uh, another guy named Rhett Schiffman, who was a bit of a uh, character. A, <laughs> he says character. Uh, I, I guess he was kind of legendary. Uh, uh, in, in we had a lot of legends in New York, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not for all the right reasons, though. Well, you know, it is what it is. And uh, New York, I mean, the old West Side Tennis Club was a beautiful club. I can't believe that they've uh, let it go and now it's no longer. Is, is that not correct? Oh, no, no, no. It, it's uh, quite vibrant and uh, and still uh, a very active club. In fact, uh, Luke Jensen's the tennis director there now. Oh. And uh, no, no, no. It's a, it's a big club. It's changed a lot. It's kind of open now. In the old days, it was a, kind of a old waspy restricted place where you had to know a whole lot of members to join. But it's it's... It's not like that anymore, and they have a swimming pool there, and they still have keep a few of the grass courts going, and uh, it's a very active place. They have bubble, they bubble the uh, some of the indoors in the winter. It's mm -hmm. Year round, year round club. What about so, Michael? You know, it, it what, what about what about you growing up in New York City? Who were some of your influences, and how did you get into playing championship tennis? Well, uh, actually, I got started in a very unusual way. Um, I, I, I went down to uh, take a lesson that, that, uh, in Roslyn from this guy, Bobby Kaplan, who started a lot of kids in the area. Yeah. And uh, I, I was like, he entered me in a few of the Eastern tournaments when I was 11, 12. I wasn't really anything better than a maybe top 10 in the section when when the draws were no more than 30 kids. So it wasn't like, you know, if you were top 10 in the section, you probably were better than 20 of the 30 uh, that, that even played in tournaments in those days. And, um, you know, I, I, I played in the Easter Bowl at, at 13 or 14, and my mom was sitting with this fella who was watching me play. I'll never forget, I played a fella named Gary Taxman Ooh. in the quarters or semis. He was from Milwaukee, and it was, you know, kind of, he was a, kind of a nationally ranked player, I think. And uh, I had only played in the local New York tournaments up to that point. But the Easter Bowl would get, you know, a lot of uh, nationally ranked players from around the country. And I was playing this guy, and he was a better player than I was. And after the, the match, uh, my mom had been overhearing this fella sitting next to her saying, somebody ought to teach that kid to play. He looks like a pretty good athlete. And my mom found out the guy's name, and he was a local teaching pro who was really quite good. His name was Bill Weisbuck. He had taught Butch Patty. He was from Los Angeles originally mm -hmm. and taught Butch Patty from scratch till he won Wimbledon and the French. And I, I didn't go take lessons from him. He said, just bring him around. He can play on the court next to me. And he kind of taught me strokes and how to play, and, and that really helped me develop. So by the time I was 15, 16, I was the, the number one player in the section, primarily 
because Gene Mayer didn't really play our Eastern tournaments, mm -hmm. and I used to play all of them, so uh, he was really a, a, a better player, but I was one in the section for about three or four years in the older age groups, um, even though, uh, I, actually, I got him uh, at Louisville at your hometown at the National Clay, mm -hmm. but uh, he, he was really the cream of the crop in, in my age group. And, but, uh, and Mike, let me, let me re you mentioned a name that I'd like you to just say something about. You mentioned Bobby Kaplan, and uh, you know, being another uh, fellow uh, Long Islander and Eastern boy like you, you know, when I think of Bobby Kaplan, it's uh, it's with fond uh, uh, remembrance because of uh, of you know getting involved with uh, with with boys like you. And if you just could say something about uh, about your learning experience with Bobby, because. Uh, you know, he didn't. Uh, he passed away at such an early age. It was uh, such a such a terrible loss for for other tennis players and for Eastern tennis. But certainly, while he was alive, and and what was going on at the Roslyn Racquet Club, you know, with Port Washington right up the road, and just being such a, a fertile ground for for young junior tennis. Uh, I was just wondering if you could tell us something about that. Well, what was really interesting was when I was about 11 or 12, when I first started and he started me playing tennis, he had a little three-court facility in the town of Roslyn called Lumber Road. And it was, uh, what he used to do is on Friday and Saturday nights, he wouldn't rent the courts out and he would just have the best juniors come around. And... I was pretty much the youngest. There was a famous tennis player in the 1930s from Atlanta, Byron Grant, called, who was called Bitsy Grant. So everybody had a nickname, and I was Bitsy, Bitsy Grant. Grant. And, and uh, you know, Ricky Meyer and I, he was a year older than me. We were, we were like the young ones, and we had to sit on the side of the court and watch. But what he did was, Sandy Mayer was... was uh, top player in the juniors then. Sticky Stockton was like, uh, you know, the king of, of uh, junior tennis in the whole country. And they were they would come along with guys like Gary Reiner, who was a fine junior player, and Neil Edwab, and all these guys, Jimmy Landis, that he played for UCLA, I think. You know, we, there were so many good players. And on these three courts, all the older kids, especially Stockton, would put on a show playing with Sandy Mayer. And they would play every Friday and Saturday night. And, you know, I got to watch these guys and, and, and Bobby was the one who put the whole thing together, you know, basically let the kids all play for free on his courts that he could have rented out. And it was like the beginning of, you know, one of the, the junior programs. I also used to go, uh, a lot of us went at 6 o'clock in the morning at the Midtown Tennis Club in Manhattan on uh, 27th Street and 8th Avenue. The, 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 the East used to run a program from 6 to 9 in the morning on Saturday and Sunday. Oh. And there were eight courts there and and literally every kid who had a ranking you could come and it was amazing there was probably eight ten kids to a court maybe you got on half a court to hit for maybe an hour and a half if you were lucky but you know the the pros that that lived in the city used to get up in the morning and it would never happen today the, the pros that lived in the city like clark gravener even arthur ash came out i mean it was amazing uh, ham richardson all these guys savitt paul cranus used to run it a little bit and uh, it was amazing all these guys that were great players they would be up there at six o'clock in the morning helping the juniors and uh wow. you know 
Vetus was there and, and McEnroe, all, all, all of us used to get up and play at six in the morning. And, and I remember going outside at nine and they'd open the, we would be indoors, we'd open the door and all of a sudden the sun would hit you and you couldn't even see because you know, we'd wake up at five o'clock in the morning, and take the train to, to Manhattan and I used to run down 8th Avenue over the winos and the train <laughs> from 34th Street to 27th Street just so we could hit on half a court with all these guys. It, it was tremendous. And there was a fellow named Jason Smith, who was a, kind of a well-known umpire also at that time, who was a tennis, he's just a good guy, and he used to run it as well. So it was, it was Stockton would be there, and all these guys were there. It was really, you know, just a, a, a great place and to, to have all the best juniors in the East in one spot. Peter Fleming was always, he used to come in from Jersey. I mean, the, the names, you, you would be amazed, you know, all the Eastern tennis. And then we, we really put, you know, a lot of tennis players on the map in the 70s. It was all from one, you know, big group from, from the New York area. You know, Robert could tell you he, he was part of, you know, a large group of really good Eastern players. Interesting, interesting. Well, Michael, then how did you make the transition from high school to college? I know you were the state champion, which is a big deal in New York. You had, I guess, a legendary uh, uh, competition a little bit with uh, Ricky Meyer, correct? funny I played him in the finals when I was a junior in high school in the finals of the state high school and uh, up at uh, SUNY Plattsburgh which is way up by the Canadian border they used to play those things at the SUNYs back in the day yeah. and uh, I actually should have lost in the semis to a guy named Buddy Gallagher but I was down some match points won the match beat Ricky in three sets in the in the final and uh, I woke up the next day in Newsday, the Long Island newspaper said um, the headline didn't, they used to cover tennis pretty well back then, even high school tennis, and the headline in Newsday, I'll never forget, instead of it saying like Grant won state high school or something, it said Meyer goes 67-1 and one in a high school career. Yeah. Uh, apparently in his last match, I beat him in the last match he ever played, and it was the only high school match he, he ever lost. Is that so, right? <laughs> Yeah, so my name, as usual, was in the fine print, even though I won oh, the tournament. Yeah. But he was a great player. That's a great record he had, and he went on and did really well on the on the. On yeah, the Ricky was a very good yeah. player. He had one of the best serves and service actions you'd ever want to see. Uh -huh. He was he was a good good fast court player. That's for sure. And so you you move on to college, and what happens there? Well, I went to Trinity because of uh, the Stocktons. Uh, you know, Dickie had gone there, and and uh, you know, Mr. Stockton. I was very friendly with uh, with uh, Donna, his younger sister, who was already at Trinity. Uh, she was a year older, and uh, ironically, uh, Mr. Stockton, and he was a bit of a character, but he, you know, he lived in Garden City, where I live now, and kind of right down the street uh, from where I grew up by Herrick's and uh, he used to come pick me up for those early morning practices sometimes he'd drive into the city drive us back and uh, you know they were influential uh, he and um, and uh, his son Dickie you know in getting me to go to Trinity and yeah I did very well there for about 
two years, and I wasn't much of a Texan, that's for sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I stayed for a couple of years, and then played the circuit for a couple of years, and then went back to uh, finish college locally here at Hofstra and go into the business world. But you know, I I, I played uh, pretty well when I was at Trinity. I mean, if you you were at Texas at the time, uh, I think the first year I only lost one one time in dual matches, and uh, that wasn't too bad on hard courts, but I wasn't. You know, I was a little better on the slow stuff, but uh, you know, it was it was it, it was so much competition. You know, because in college in those days, all the best juniors that we competed against, you also had a you know a lot of foreign players coming in from the Orange Bowl and and different places that played at the top schools like Miami and USC and UCLA. So it was even stronger than than our junior tournaments. You guys really had some players. Talk about some of the players you played with at Trinity that were for the time you were there. Well, the best player was Billy Scanlon. We were roommates, actually. Mm. And uh, he, he pretty much, well, the first year we kind of switched off at one and two. I beat him sometimes. He beat me sometimes. But he got he got very strong the second year. He was very good very good fast court player and he won the NCAA, NCAAs the second year right. and then turned pro as, uh, as well but he was a, he was a really fine player excellent excellent serve volley player and he wasn't the only one there no well we had Bill Matiastic and Jim Timmons and David King we, we, we had a lot of good players not you know I, I would say Scanlon and I were a little stronger than the other guys but but you know everybody was good. We had a deep, deep team, and then they, Larry Gottfried came, and and then as soon as I left, they got a, even a stronger team. They got Skirsky and Ben McCowan and and Giamalva. I actually played uh, Giamalva in the Texas men's final and got him, but he was a little younger than me. But but uh, they they was very strong there for quite a number of years. You know, one of the things that. Uh Chip was talking about when I was talking to him about tour days and one of the the uh, most unusual places that he played a tournament and uh, you played there too and uh, being Jewish you might have a little bit of a different uh, take on what it was like but Chip was talking about how Tel Aviv was uh. different because of maybe the tenor of the people and what they lived through and that type of thing. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you, you had a good win over in Tel Aviv, didn't you? Well, I wouldn't say it was a good, great win, but it was an interesting experience because oh, yes. I, I had never been. And, of course, you know, I guess it was like I played it in 79 or 80, those two seasons. I did pretty well there when I went. But the first year I went, it was, uh, I think, 79. And... Interesting enough, a player named David Schneider, who was from South Africa, was playing Davis Cup for Israel with uh, Shlomo Glickstein. They they were looking for Jewish players, so they could they didn't have two at that time that were high quality. Uh, they did you know get some players later, Mansdorf and Bloom and Perkis and a bunch of guys, but they were much younger. And uh, I, I my, my folks didn't even want me to go. They said, oh, it's too dangerous. This, that, and the other. And I wanted to see it, so uh, I was in the tournament. I, I flew over there, and the first round, I have to play David Schneider, who's like their second Davis Cup player. And, they, and the, it was the first round match, and they stick me in the in the uh, stadium in Ramada Sharon, the uh, the main tennis center, and I, you know, uh, I thought, you know, this would be great. I, I'm I'm Jewish. I'm going to Israel. I'll see it for the first time. <laughs> I get there, and I'm and I'm and everybody's rooting against me. <laughs> yeah, damn. <laughs> you know? 
But but David, yeah, you know, we're playing in front of a packed crowd because he was their their other Davis Cup player, and uh, uh, he was so nervous. I ended up beating him in straight sets, and and uh, the crowd wasn't too friendly, wasn't too happy about it. This guy Grant, who doesn't even have a Jewish name, they didn't even know I was Jewish <laughs> until they until they uh, interviewed me after the match. I said I was Jewish, so that then uh, you know I had I had a few people root for me in the in the next round. I think I won two rounds and lost to. Uh, I don't remember. I think I lost to Herquist or somebody, somebody like that. It was a great experience. I mean, uh, I went back one more time and played it again and did okay. You know, I think Solomon came the next year, and you know, most of the Jewish players, Americans, went once or twice just to play it and see it. I mean, uh, I did. I, I I went back once in my life since then. One of my sons was bar mitzvah there, but uh, oh. you know, I, huh, I I've neat. been there. I've been there three times, but and then not in the last twenty years. I don't I don't know if I'll ever go back, but it was quite a good experience what was the vibe back like back then in the time i mean did you feel the tension or was it just tennis related uh, well i felt it because i put it on myself because it was only um you, you know at that point in I, when i went in 79 i believe they were giving back or sadat had just came come from you know the they had the peace with egypt and it was a, i remember that being an issue uh when when i was there but uh you know other than that it was you know i hadn't been out of the country that many times mm-hmm. and uh you know that's not like going to europe or or canada or something it, it's, it's the middle east is a totally different world and you know we were, we were uh, I, I ended up playing in South America and, and Asia and Africa and different places after that, but that was my first real experience and I, in, in, a, in a much different place, that's for sure. Interesting, interesting. Um, so, Michael, what, uh, what happened, let's see, when you played, I'm going to surprise Chip here because mm-hmm. he, he probably doesn't know this, but uh, somebody that he knows pretty well that you took out on the clay, named uh, Jose Luis Clerk, or was that the clay? Yeah, I played him in Japan Open on the on red clay, actually. Red clay and, in Japan? Uh, hmm. I, I, I got him in straight sets, but uh, I don't think it was one of his best days, and it was one of my best days, so that's the only way that was possible. But uh, well, I don't know about you know, that. Don't sell course, yourself but, short. Uh, I, I do remember... I do remember going to the interview for that one and they, they everybody kept calling me grandson and I didn't find out after until Grant the son after your name is mister so they were all calling me mister Grant and I didn't understand why they were all calling me grandson <laughs> <laughs> that's good right there well yeah, but <clears throat> Jose Luis Clark was quite a player. I mean, that was a great win because that guy could really give the ball a ride. He could hit that forehand, couldn't he? Yeah, he had the backhand was also was really? a tremendous weapon yeah, too. He hit, a, he hit a pretty good ball, but you know, it, I, I, I was pretty good from the backcourt. And if you didn't have a real good day, if you didn't have a good day, I, I was you know not going to knock you over. But you, you better hit a lot of balls back with me if you're <laughs> yeah. playing me if you're playing me on clay. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's exactly what Mr. Rosello said when he came in the door. <laughs> I think everybody says that, you know, Kerry Stansbury, our friend, mm-hmm. he, to- he coined the name that, you know, Robert, I didn't know this until he came down here, but he's a real Civil War buff, you know, so I was asking him things about Grant because Kerry Stansbury coined the name General Grant because of the tact 
tactical way that he played, although that Robert informs me that General Grant was not a great, great tactician. He just had the law of numbers on his side. That's exactly right. I've read many uh, uh, biography. <laughs> he yeah. was more like, uh, you know, outnumber, the, out, outnumber them and, and push your way through. He yeah. wasn't afraid to, to be aggressive, and, uh, and he was drunk half the time anyway. <laughs> yeah, he, he brought, oh. that, up. He brought yeah. that up too, but, and also how he would just, like Vicksburg, just encircle the city with men and just wait them out until their supply lines were drained and interesting uh, to hear. But uh, any, anyway, I think the other thing Kerry said is that uh, for those tennis fans that know some of the current players, he said, uh, David Ferrer learned to play from Michael, watching Michael Grant. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, no, I think he's a little better than me. That's for sure. <laughs> well, did you have a one-hander or two-hander backhand? Me? Oh, no, one-handed. It's all one-handed. Okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah, so I was, well, you know, the, I was very, very, I was very smooth. Not, not really, uh, not too overpowering, but pretty, pretty, pretty smooth. You know, it's kind of interesting because Michael, you know, this uh, Weisbuck that he's talking about that moved to New York from California was mm-hmm. a disciple of Tom Stowe, who was Don Budge's coach. Is that right, Michael? Well, actually, uh, that's a generation removed. He, he was. He was taught, or was the assistant pro to a woman named uh, Eleanor Tennant, Teach Tennant, who taught sure. in Southern California, Maureen Connolly, and I think Jack Kramer and Bobby Riggs and all those people, and Alice Marble. And he was her assistant, but she was a disciple of Tom Stowe, uh, you know, who taught Don Budge and Tom Brown and the Northern California crowd. Mm-hmm. So uh, actually that style was how we were taught here. Uh, like Robert probably could tell you, there was probably five or six teaching pros in the New York area that kind of taught all the kids and they were very good teaching pros. You know, the, the Weiss book and said the mayor's father and, and uh, no great, John no great, you taught Ronnie Holmberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a whole bunch of them. I mean, Mr. Seawag and Butch's dad, there, there were a lot of very, very good teaching pros in the New York area. And, and most of all the juniors uh, learned from one of these guys. Yeah, I, I'm going to bring up a name to you that's going to go way back, and his sons also uh, played, and one of them uh, uh, was a pioneer of the uh, spaghetti string racket. I think you know who I'm talking Fishback. about. Yeah, Joe Fishback. Yeah, Joe Fishback was in the same mold. Peter, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, Dr. Mayer, we call him, mm-hmm. or he called himself, Sandy and Gene's dad, he taught exactly the way Sandy played. And Peter Fishback, who was, you know, All-American and Big Ten champion at Michigan, yeah. he Peter played exactly the way Joe taught, but both of the younger sons, you know, were two hands and really good players with two hands, but they didn't play anything like the way that the dads taught. And, you know, there was a fellow up in Westchester, Robert, you might remember the name, Elwood Cook, who was a great sure. player in his day. Oh, yeah. And he taught up in Westchester. I mean, there, there were so many good teaching pros in the New York area at that time. And that's one of the reasons, aside from the proliferation of indoor courts and, and everything, that's one of the reasons I think we developed so many players in our area. We had so many good teaching pros teaching everybody. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, on another podcast that uh, that the fans can check in on, I was really discussing the early days of the Port Washington Tennis Academy, where uh, 
we had uh, uh, instructors like uh, Chuck Creasy, uh, Tony Palafox, and Peter Marmorano, uh, and these guys were just your your regular average pros at the time. They were just really getting started. I mean, of course, Tony had a great career in Mexico as a Davis Cup uh, uh, winner, but some of these uh, the 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 other pros that uh, that were on the courts went on to do fantastic things, whether it's college coaches or coaches for, uh, for professional players, opening up their own clubs. Um, there, were, there were a lot of really fine uh, tennis-knowledgeable uh, teachers and coaches in the New York area. They really were. Let me ask you one name to see if it rings a bell. Chuck Eisenberg. Uh, yeah, he was in Westbury, I think. Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was a teaching pro at Westbury. I think in the private court at the Phipps Estate, if I'm not mistaken. You, you're not mistaken. <laughs> Excellent memory. That that court uh, that court was uh, was a private court in like a barn or something, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not. It might even still be there. I don't know. There, there's a court like it at the old Westbury Country Club that they have one of those like barn type indoor <laughs> courts. But you know, there were so many good teaching pros in the area that were knowledgeable and could take a kid and teach him good strokes and coach him well. And you know, they, they, that produced so many. We had so much depth in the East by the by the mid '70s. It was ridiculous. Yes, I would absolutely agree with that. It really was. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I know that there are other places in the states, certainly that uh, yeah, produce but from, juniors, but. From, from nothing because you know all the players before that came out of warm weather places where you could play all year that's right in California and Texas and Florida and all of a sudden look at you know look at even when I was playing a couple years in the pros there was Rennert and Fromm and Meyer and me guys that weren't McEnroe and, and Gerolitis right. and the Mayors and, and Fleming and all the kids that really did well you know uh, and look at all the kids that were still made top 100 in the world all at the same time from you know what we all lived within 30 miles of each other that's right that's absolutely correct yeah fantastic well that, i don't think that i don't think we've even produced anybody even close to that you know well uh, you know it, 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 it would it would seem that <clears throat> over time people have their interests have spread out so and the people, I mean, the way you guys talk about it, you have lots of admiration for each other. You know, I came up in the 70s out in the uh, uh, Northern Cal area, in the um, San Francisco Bay Area. And it was a little bit, it was like that, but you didn't have as much people who cared for you to the degree that, like what you're talking about. So it gets well, to... You know, but we, but everybody, everybody congregated in a very small area, so we all played with each other. Uh, you know, right. I mean, uh, that I think that that helped a lot because everybody pushed everybody else. You know, I I, I practiced with Gerolitis as much as I played with anybody else because he wanted to, you know, play with some steady guy two years younger. He'd get on the court with me. You know, and mm -hmm. and, and that was uh, it was a great thing that we we had so many guys who played well that you could practice with. And Absolutely. they were all within, you know, <laughs> they were all within striking distance. Everybody lived so so close to each other. Yeah, but it, it seems like what was uh, the, the real linchpin over here was the caring that 
these people had for each other. I mean, sure, they want to beat each other, but that's not it. It's no, well, we were all pretty friendly, you know, to, you know as much as you could be, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think. I mean, uh, you know, uh-huh. my, my, comp, my competition uh, uh, for a number of years, when I was one in the section, Buddy Gallagher was two, but we used to come and sleep over my house on the weekends and vice versa, and we'd play for weekends with each other in the warm weather and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, we were competitive, but we practiced with each other. You know, uh, that wasn't, uh, I don't think that was too Unusual. Yeah, but the thing is, um, I guess I'm not really saying really what I want to say is that the 70s is like a new, mm, like you would say, golden years of tennis. And uh, for, certainly for here. I mean, it was like, it was like that. Sure. It was like that out on the West Coast as well, but not like what you're talking about where parents were driving other kids. I mean, that guy oh, leaving, sure. the, getting the club open, you guys practicing in the mornings, Friday, well, that's, Saturday. That's because we, we, had, we, we had a little different because, you know, Robert could tell you, court time was precious. Uh, mm-hmm. especially through the winter time so you know indoor courts were just starting to boom and you know whenever you had the chance to practice and play indoors most of the kids that were serious about tennis took the took great advantage of it and made the most out of the time you could get on the indoor court because you know I remember going out to, when I was a teenager one February vacation I went out to uh, stay with my friends Bruce Manson and uh, Perry Wright in California during the, during the break and you know they would go to the LA Tennis Club and practice or, and, and you know it was, it was I was so surprised that they were so relaxed and loose about it and we were so you know I think Robert could tell you when we had a chance to play inside we took it seriously there was only so much time and, and uh, available to, to get on the court you know from October to, to to through April so once once the uh, weather broke you could play but you know indoors was precious and and you know the, the Eastern kids I know we all took advantage and never never wasted any time when we were on the court Got it. Very good point. Um, And the other thing was, I mean, there's a bit. It it really was very helpful that we had all these really fine teaching pros in the area, because I mean, look at American tennis in in, uh, recent years. Uh, Robert Lanzorf taught half the players that that made it out of you know in the United States. One guy. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there used to be a whole bunch of players coming out of St. Louis. It was from uh, uh, that coach Price that taught uh, uh, the Bill McKinley's Price. And, sure. Uh, yeah, Bill Price. I mean, he, he taught so many players. You know, Garen Hance and the Buckholtzes and, you know, uh, McKinley. And, I mean, you know, one guy turned out a whole bunch of players. Mm-hmm. And, and we had, you know, we had uh, maybe 10 guys that could do that in New York all at the same time. Interesting. Interesting. So, Michael, tell us what you're doing now. Oh, uh, same thing I've been doing for 35 years. I've been in the construction business. Uh, I'm a partner in probably the, the now the largest private exterior restoration company in uh, in New York, and uh, we 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 basically. Uh, do mandated safety facade work and waterproofing and uh, structural repairs all over New York City. And, uh, you know, that's been my world for the last okay. 35 years. 
Um, but I play tennis every morning at my club in New York with the local pro there uh, at Shelter Rock. And uh, when I get down to my place in Florida, I, I, I try to play uh, every day if I can. So uh, I'm still still playing singles for an hour a day and trying to keep the weight down. I hit the ball as good as I ever did and move pretty much like my age. Let's <laughs> put, put it that way. What about uh, Donald Trump? You doing some work for him right now on some of his projects? Uh, we've never worked. We've never worked for Mr. Trump because of his uh, uh, his uh, kind of payment history. But, payment history. Uh, oh, lack of payment history. Or lack of payment. History. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know he's got he's, he doesn't have the best reputation among contractors. We, we've we've stayed away. And interestingly enough, I have a very good in if I wanted to uh, work there because his right hand guy is Matt Matt Calamari, who's probably seen on his shoulder, you know, until he became president. He's like one of the top people at the Trump organization. Is a is a neighbor and childhood friend of mine uh, that I grew up with, and I'm going to see him in about a month at a, another function. And uh, he's always given me the opportunity to work for the Trump organization, but uh, we've always passed. Oh, I see. <laughs> so, I see. You know, and that has nothing to do with politics. That just has to do with business. So, uh, you know, <laughs> he's, he's he's a character and a half. Said enough. Way. Enough said, that's right. Well, listen, Michael, thanks for stopping in with us tonight on the Chip and Gary Tennis Show and Robert Rosello as well. And uh, uh, we hope to get a little conversation with you again in the future. And uh, best of luck to you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me, Gary, and hope to see you soon. Yeah, we'll get out on the tennis court and hit them up again. <laughs> I'll be ready for you. Will you be ready for me? <laughs> well, I don't know. That's no, a good, good question. No. He's playing every day. What's up with uh, that? He's playing every day, every and he day. wants he wants me day. to be ready for him. I did play with uh, Robert a little doubles the other day, so you know well, you I don't know, know if that counts. We, we, we hit, you know, we hit some uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when I was down in Florida. Yeah, that's right. What about you, Chip? Yeah. You hitting any balls these days? No. Huh? You don't hit balls anymore? No. Why not? Why? I've Chip, been a, Chip been would a, rather lift weights these days, Michael. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong uh, with him. Well, you know, I, I, I do the same thing every morning. I, we warm up 15 minutes and we play sets until the hour's up and then we quit whatever the score is. is I do right? the same thing over and over and over. So you do that in the city. What time do you all go out and play? No, uh, over, over at my club. It's five minutes from the house, 10 minutes. That's uh-huh. Shelter Rock Tennis Club. Uh-huh. At what time do you go out on, and hit the course uh, these we days? We play from 6 to 7, then I go to my office. I get up at five and play every morning at six the whole year, except when I'm in Florida and I let you sleep in and come over and play with me at thirty or eleven. You know? Okay. We, we were we were talking earlier on the podcast, Chip and I, about what what makes players improve and winning things. And one of the things he talked about was discipline. And I'd say getting up at five to go play at six every morning. That's pretty discipline. It's nuts. Not discipline. It's nuts. <laughs> well, you avoid the traffic at that time, I guess, don't you? Oh, yeah. I can go through the red lights and nobody bothers you. <laughs> Spoken well, like a true New Yorker. Yes, like a true New Yorker. Michael, thanks for stomping in tonight. Hope to hear from you again, buddy. You got it. Okay. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Michael. Bye, Mike.